0: Hello and welcome back to Still Watching WandaVision. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson.
2: And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic, Richard Lawson.
0: I just love the way you say it every time. Um, (laughs) Consistency. (laughs) Like Kat Dennings, we are still watching WandaVision. Um, We are here to discuss episode four. Uh, I I believe it's titled We Interrupt This Program, or We Now Interrupt This Program. Uh, and, uh, And nothing beyond it. Uh, If you are just joining us for the first time, this is a show with three segments. In this first segment, Richard and I are going to respond to listener emails, talk about the episode in general. Richard doesn't have like a hardcore uh, comics knowledge, though – i hear he's been doing a little research so <laughs> very, we're going to talk very about that niche research yes <laughs> uh so we will we will we'll will be talking about that uh in this section the second section we will have an interview this week we've got um i believe you pronounce it elizabeth olsen um elizabeth olsen that's how one of, uh, one one of her song.
2: ex-brothers-in-law <laughs> pronounces it anyway <laughs>
0: um so uh so yeah so oh (laughs) sorry just got that bowls of cigarettes okay um so yeah elizabeth olsen uh is here to talk about um the series and sort of uh she has some really interesting things to say about like the fact that wanda finally gets to talk to other female characters which she hardly ever got to do in the mcu and um also sort of how they're trying to avoid some of the um the stickier tropes that might come with this storyline. So, um, I thought that was a really interesting interview. She's always very interesting to talk to. Uh, and lastly, we've got, uh, our colleague Anthony Breznikin will swoop in with some really nerdy stuff. So, you know, we're covering all the bases here mm-hmm. on still watching. Um, like I said, we're not spoiling anything beyond this episode because Guess what, guys? I don't know what happens next. Not really. Um, I thought this was going to be the Family Ties episode. So did I watch Family Ties yesterday to prepare? Yes, I did. And I was wrong. So uh, I'll be ahead, hopefully, for next week, which should be the Family Ties episode. Um, this is a completely – almost completely out of the sitcom world uh, episode, filling in a lot of blanks. What was your – I just want to get your sort of initial reaction to the episode, Richard. Well, I
2: appreciated that for those of us who are less familiar with, like, the Easter eggs and sort of, uh, references that have thus far come on the show, that, that, that the series did almost to the midway point take a pause and say, okay, like, here, here's what's going on. We're going to explain it in ways that don't feel too heavy on exposition, um, but that connect it to, you know, the Marvel movies that maybe, I mean, I've seen all of them, but, you know, maybe a more casual viewer has only seen a few of them to kind of give you the basic, you know, lay of the land in terms of how everything relates to one another. And I think it was done in a way that still felt true to the tone of the series, um, while also, you know, doing a thorough job of catching us up to speed um, for the, you know, those of us who kind of hadn't already figured it out.
0: I, you know, I, Richard's, probably phrasing it that way because before the episode started, I was like, I already knew a bunch of this stuff. Oh my God. Um, no, but, but we did learn some, some, uh, valuable information that I didn't have. I think one of the, um, like most specific things we learned is that this takes place around three weeks after, uh, everyone came back from the Thanos snap. So we have like a timeline of like, you know, they defeat Thanos Wanda goes to Tony Stark's funeral and this takes place, you know, pretty shortly thereafter, uh, depending on how quickly they had that funeral. So, you know, but still like within a couple weeks of when we last saw her, it hasn't been like months and months because I think Spider-Man – a Spider-Man that we've already had where the gang goes to Europe. Uh that took place months after um the return. Uh so this is this is a a shorter window. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh before we get into all of that, the cat dennings and Randall Park of it all, um let us talk about some emails. You can always email us so pod at gmail dot com. Richard, which emails this week are you wanting to get into? <laughs>
2: <clears throat> well, one of them, um, from Hollis Boyd, um, it's, it's a, it's a long email sort of filled with theories and things like that. But the, the, the central crux of it, I think, really gets at something that this episode further, uh, expanded on. Um, and so Hollis writes, uh, in the dinner scene with the hearts in episode one, once they all sit down and Mrs. Hart starts drilling them with questions, the camera immediately starts showing only Wanda's face. Vision actually only speaks once, saying, and we were married. And you only see his face from behind and to the side. Then vision actually seems frozen. Uh, he's shot only from behind to the point where you can't even say for sure that it is Paul Bettany sitting in the chair. We only see Wanda trying to figure out why she can't remember their story. Vision doesn't move an inch until Wanda tells him to. Once Mr. Hart begins choking, we again see Vision's face, and he looks distressed, but also locked in place, like Wanda is holding him, and he can't move to help until she releases him or instructs him. It really made me think that this Vision is actually just a part of Wanda, and his growing suspicions are a representation of the part of Wanda that recognizes this is wrong, people are getting hurt, this isn't real which i think was not not confirmed not only by the kind of ending where it shows exactly how uh tiana paris monica rambeau is expelled from from this town um but also in the quick scene where she's talking to vision and all of a sudden she gasps and it we see that he's like dead like it's his like vision corpse essentially and then she kind of snaps out of it and changes him back Um, So I think that's a keen bit of, you know, observation on on Hollis's part that they've been laying the track work that like this version of vision really is just another, uh, you know, manifestation of Wanda's mind.
0: Yeah. There are some questions around that. Um, You know, I I think the most um, reasonable response to what we saw here, which was like, as you know, a, a zombified dead vision that she was somehow like puppeteering. Um, I think that's a really reasonable uh, response, a really macabre sort of reveal, um, that she's just sort of like, you know. Uh, puppeteering her her dead boyfriend uh around this sitcom universe that she's created um
2: very last dance with mary jane the tom
0: Petty video <laughs> <laughs> yes uh who did it better kim bassinger or paul Benney. but um <laughs> but, but the um the, the there's a couple questions right not to get like too too nerdy on you but at, in in endgame you might remember that in endgame like or infinity war i should say um the, the whole idea is that they're trying to protect Vision from Thanos, who needs the stone that's in his forehead, right? And they take him to Wakanda because they're trying to figure out a way to save, remove the stone from Vision's head while still saving him, not killing him, right? And so right. Shuri, um, Letitia Wright's character for, um, a significant portion of that whole, like, uh, battle in Wakanda is doing something in her lab where she's trying to like redirect all these circuits in Vision's, um, head, a- like kind of away from the mind stone to see if he can exist without this thing that's been powering him. Um, and then she gets, um, she gets dusted. She gets snapped. And it's unclear whether or not she was fully successful. I mean, fans have like poured over screenshots of her monitor and stuff like that, but it's unclear. Um, but then like Thanos rips the, uh, the stone out of vision's forehead and vision certainly looks dead when that happens. But the question is like, is there some possibility because of what Shuri did before that all happened, that vision could exist in some form without, um, the stone in his head? Um, so is there some version of vision that's still like kind of alive in there is um i like this theory uh that the emailer put out there that like the questions that vision is asking around town when he gets confused or concerned or is interrogating things is an extension of wanda's you know better self interrogating what's going on around her Mm -hmm. um Or is it the remnants of the real vision sort of still in there? There's a couple possibilities, but I mean, certainly there's something really creepy going on um, with, and sad with Wanda trying to uh, reanimate this, this person she's lost.
2: Right. I mean, I I also think that there it's interesting in the, in the, um, in the kind of bewitched episode with the the magic show, the talent show. Yeah. That vision is glitching and it's there's an intertextual reason for that which is like he swallowed gum and it you know screwed up his gearworks or whatever. But like maybe that was a response to an actual like Wanda not necessarily having control over whatever kind of form vision is in, I guess.
0: But it's true I mean like I did rewatch um that scene uh from the first episode after we got this email and it's true that it, Betney is almost completely frozen mm-hmm. um she's shot from the back so you don't really notice it but like his hands don't even move on the table until like right as um mr hart starts choking his head moves a little but like he's mostly frozen and so that is interesting that like while wanda is using all of her uh, processing information and trying to come up with a backstory. She can't also puppeteer Vision at the same time. But we see Vision walking around this universe independent of her. So I don't know. I'm tempted to still think there's something in him that is not her. Um, but we'll find out, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What other emails to you want to read out, Richard? Well, I'm not
2: going to read the full email because uh... – it's a lot. And I think some of it actually better pertains to the kind of more intense stuff that you and Anthony are going to get into um, in the, the third act of this episode. <laughs> um, but uh, Urban Boyer did send us a really fun um, complimentary email. We appreciate that. But um, one of the things they mentioned was uh, the third bullet point down in this email uh, was in the comics, Billy, well, parentheses Wiccan is gay, but also Tommy (parenthesis speed is bisexual. And I thought, okay, who are, who are these people? I, I kind of, before, I kind of had done this research before the email, but it was the same thought process of Wanda and vision have these twins, you don't have a kid in any sort of mythology thing like Marvel or Star Wars without that kid coming to bear at, at some point, right? Like, it, they don't just right, forget right. about, it's not like, um, you know, the sister on Boy Meets World or, or, so, or, uh,
0: <laughs> or the
2: son on, on Mad Men or something. Um, yeah. But, uh, so, so Billy Wicken, Wicken w- 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 is his, like, Marvel name, I guess, um, is right. gay, which led me down, uh, a rabbit hole, a uh, one that I'm, that is adjacent to other rabbit holes I've been down, whether it be back in the day, Harry Potter slash fic, or, uh, I guess more recently, I, t- I don't even know if I should say this, but I, I recently have been replaying the game Breath of the Wild, the Legend of Zelda game, and there is actually, I was curious, not out of any prurient interest. I just was curious if there was link, like slash and there is, of course. Um, but anyway, yeah, Billy is this gay character in the Marvel Universe. He, he has a boyfriend, I think later a husband who's kind of a Hulk. Um,
0: Hulkling, yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it really was a funny couple, uh, you know, internet journeys where uh i started just kind of like trying to do like back you know research for this podcast and then ended up like in this weird spot of like i wish i'd had this when i was a gay teenager and like so you have this weird kind of envy longing thing but also it was cool and i'm excited to see you know if what they ever do with this character in the, the cinematic universe or the tv universe um but yeah, if anyone listening to this who is not was not aware of this uh, development yeah. in the Marvel world and would be interested in it, um, you can go look up uh, in various forms, pictorial, uh, textual, um, all of the stuff about Wiccan and his journey to being one of the very few out uh, gay Marvel oh. characters.
0: I knew, I knew that about Wiccan. I had not, I, I didn't, like, we, I talked about last week with Anthony about Wicked being, you know, canonically gay. Um, I had forgotten that Speed was also bisexual. So, um, we, got, I got some tweets correcting me that Wanda has two queer sons. Um, so yeah. And of course she does. <laughs> She's like a fabulous,
2: like, witch. Like,
0: <laughs>
2: like, obviously.
0: Obviously, we're not sure what's going to happen with Billy and Tommy, but, um, something that Anthony and I were, were talking about was this idea that Marvel right now is doing a lot of work to seed these younger characters into its universe. So, um, I don't know how much this stuff is on the, your radar, Richard, but there's an upcoming Miss Marvel show. Um, there's a character, a young character named America Chavez that's been cast. There's, um, Uh, Haley Steinfeld is going to be playing uh this young um apprentice of Hawkeye called Kate Bishop. They're just basically they've cast a bunch of these younger superheroes, almost teen, you know, Peter Parker of course being being one, um, and sprinkled them throughout various like shows and movies that they have upcoming. So it feels to me like they're building up towards some sort of young Avengers, uh event and there is a young Avengers like comic mm. and uh Wicked and Speed are part of the Young Avengers. So it feels like this could be all part of leading up to that, if that makes sense. I, I,
2: I did see some, you know, dream fan casting online that was like Troy Sivan should play Wiccan, which, you know, <laughs> of course that's what exactly what people are saying. I mean they do kind of look similar, the drawings. And- I would
0: love some one of the sort of like most crackpot theories because like people like to pour over um uh you know IMDb casting uh to try to figure out what's going on on any of these shows mm-hmm. and so there is uh, a a young man listed as boy next door um in an upcoming episode and uh that that made some fans hope that like because uh, we expect to see these kids grow you know, given how quick Wanda's pregnancy was, we expect to see these kids grow quickly. And so someone was like, I mean, maybe we might watch Wanda try to like help one of her sons through like a crush on a boy next door. Like that, that would be a really fun thing to have happen in the series. So if this um, show, you know,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that, that would be, that would be fun. I would really, I would appreciate um, a little love Simon, uh, <laughs> sprinkled yeah. over the MCU. <laughs> they're all owned by the same company Uh, at this point so might as well
0: i know why not um yeah and we don't know you know if we do get um a teen or adult billy and tommy we don't know who might be playing them so i just
2: looked up the actor Um, who plays boy next door on instagram and um there is in fact a post about being on wandavision wearing he's wearing the sweatshirt and um so it leads me to believe it's not just a little like walk-on extra
0: role All right. Well, I mean, we'll keep our eye out for the boy next door. Um, all right. So, is there anything else you want to touch on in our emails?
2: Um, I, those were the kind of two big things for me. Um, did anything jump out at you?
0: Oh, did you want to read the the email about the, the doll?
2: Oh, God. Right. Yes. How, well, fitting that I should forget (laughs) poor Katie Carriel. Um, (laughs) chris writes to us uh you know very nice things again about the show thank you for all of that um but but um then they write um just a quick note of omission uh it's an homage to trivia not an mcu mcu easter egg that was uh, the baby that they were changing in the third episode that was katie Carriol that vision was diapering cindy brady's doll She was tragically lost or doll-napped in an episode of The Brady Bunch, and I remember it gave me some serious childhood trauma that cute little Cindy was so devastated. So I hope some of our WandaVision mysteries are brought to a reveal that doesn't traumatize us as much as Cindy missing Katie Carriol. (laughs) (laughs) Which I appreciate. I mean, I've definitely seen that episode. It was also parodied in at least one of The Brady Bunch movies, I think the first one. Uh, maybe the sequel, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great little good eye for uh, you know the, all the many ways that this show uh, is referencing cl- closely um, its source material—not source material, but its uh, reference points.
0: So something that we got a couple emails about that, like I don't want to—I don't want to dive too deeply into it because. Um... I like to keep you in your pure state, Richard, as much mm. as possible, but not a little um,
2: less pure after doing Wiccan fan fiction <laughs> dives, but yes, pure, pure enough,
0: <laughs> pure enough. Something I want to, um, uh, you know, this uh, a, a detail in this episode is, is so we learn a few things about the bubble. We learned that, um, it's, it did not exist. It seems before a couple of weeks ago, um, that, implies to me that Wanda, there were some theories that Wanda had, Wanda had like, Wanda had wandered, Wanda had wandered into someone else's bubble and sort of taken it over. That was a theory. But it seems to me that Wanda is instrumental in the creation of this bubble, uh, given the timeline, given that it was a normal town in New Jersey, um, before a couple weeks ago, right? Um, or a couple days ago, as it were. Um, then they assemble this, this sort of like, uh, given their observations, they assemble this wall, um, that lays out that a bunch of the characters that we've met in the town are actually like people who lived in this town, Westview, in New Jersey, right? And, um, they've got their real world driver's license attached to their files on the wall. But there's two significant omissions that I want to talk to you about. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, Catherine Hahn's character, Agnes, does not have a driver's license attached to her uh, piece of paper. Mm-hmm. She's the only one. And number two, Emma Caulfield's character, Dottie, is not even on the wall at all. So, um, what does this do for you? <laughs> what does this mean to you?
2: Well, I think we talked about it in an earlier recap episode where it was like, mm-hmm. you don't cast Catherine Hahn unless there's something big coming for her i don't think and i know that there are people i've seen rumblings in in emails we've received and just in general just like twitter i'm trying not to do like read much about the show beyond what we talk mm-hmm. about here um uh, or or wiccan fanfic um but uh that she's maybe a villain uh and i think you and anthony might have talked about that i don't listen to your parts of the episode again because i don't want to be um on pure (laughs) impure um so i think that's interesting and then as far as like so maybe there's a more sinister reason for why she would not she would be off the grid a bit more than these other people um and then Dottie, i don't know i almost wonder the way that she was played by emma caulfield and just sort of functioned with the glass breaking and everything i i wonder maybe she has more in line with this sort of visiony robotic thing or i i don't know mm. you know um maybe she is she is a creation um in, in a way that the other people who are sort of trapped uh are not
0: there's an interesting line in that episode when they're talking about sort of the neighborhood politics um i believe it's agnes who says that Dottie's the key to everything which has a lot of people wondering like interesting and once again like not that emma caulfield is like I don't know, but you and Anthony and I all have the same reaction where we're like, Emma Caulfield's in this. Oh my gosh. Um, Anya. So, um, you know, I don't know that you just cast Emma Caulfield to play Queen Bee of the Neighborhood. I feel similarly yeah. about mm-hmm. her. So, um, so we, uh, are going to have our eyes on those two women, I think, specifically. There's also this, um, something to look out for, um, is, you know, the cops say, uh, you know, we're not from this town, uh, we're from Eastview. It's view, right? Not field, West Fields, West View. I think, so yeah. We don't Westview, okay. Um, they're like, We're from Eastview, right? And so a bunch of people have mentioned um this idea of um the was wiz- like Wizard of Oz sort of imagery. Um uh Scarlet Witch maybe then being Wicked Witch of the West or stuff like that um there's a lot of witchy Aussie stuff going on uh so we'll see how that all pans out, but just something to keep your eye open uh for and if you see other Wizard of Oz sort of references to to keep that in mind um all right, but you know mainly this is this is an episode where we get a lot of sort of like fun exposition um reveals from two MCU characters, Kat Denny's character, Darcy, who comes from the Thor movies and Randall Park's character, Jimmy Woo, who comes from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, Just so I don't get an email about this. He does a little sleight of hand trick with his business card when he first meets um, Monica, Captain uh, Monica Rambeau. And uh, that is a reference to Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's trying to like learn uh, magic that that trick in Ant Man and the Wasp because he sees um, Paul Rudd's character do it. So uh, to, to stop writing your emails saying like you missed this. I didn't miss it. Uh, I saw it. Okay. So um, so yeah. So so what did we learn that's most interesting to you, Richard, in this episode?
2: Well, I, I think the most interesting thing for me was honestly the opening and watching the blip, as they call it, be undone in in kind of real time. You know, yeah, we saw that. Yeah. Um, we didn't we saw the moment when people evaporated or turned into dust or whatever and then we saw in endgame when they were back but we didn't see them come back you know right and and i think that visual was really interesting at first i didn't really know what was going on and then i was like oh right of course like this is and i and i really appreciated the way that like you know it's kind of like a zombie movie thing or like walking dead or or um 28 days later where she wakes mm-hmm. up in the hospital she wakes up to mm-hmm. chaos and, and she thinks it's chaos of her time period, but it's five years later. You know, five years later, chaos. And and I I appreciate whenever these big, spectacular movies were where really you know fantastical, supernatural things happen. Whenever they can take a moment to like. Get lower to the ground and show what this would seem, would 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 feel like, and and to regular people like, live trying to live their lives. You know, I I think that Batman vs Superman, uh, which is a movie that I actually actually don't think is like that bad. Um, mm-hmm.
3: Th- mm-hmm.
2: they okay. th- I appreciated in the beginning of that movie when we were introduced to Ben Affleck's um Bruce Wayne that like, um, they it takes place during this like city destroying battle from Man of Steel. And it's like there were people down there when those buildings were collapsing and stuff. Right. And I and, and I think that was a good way for them to address this kind of mounting criticism that there's not really any attention paid to the fact that what we're seeing in these big action scenes is like millions of people dying um yeah and so i like that they are like here are just some i mean monica's not regular herself she's in the closer to the center of all this kind of intrigue but regular people at the hospital just like freaking out and being like what's going on um i like when they can humanize all of this wild stuff um and i think they did that really well
0: yeah i was actually kind of bothered by the way it was handled in far from home the spider-man film um i understand that like Massive amounts of trauma and grief uh, don't fit with a sort of like fun, young, zippy tone of a Spider Man movie. But being gone for five years, uh, and especially in Monica's case, losing her mom, not being able to say goodbye to her mom, uh, you know, because she was snapped, that's heavy trauma. Like in Far From Home, it was so weird to me. These kids just like go back to high school and all of their classmates have graduated. It's been five years, you know what I mean? And, and they're back at school. And I just thought that that was so bizarre. And, you know, like I said, more time has elapsed in that film, but, um, I'm glad that we get to see this more immediate and very traumatic. It was shot, you know, I've mentioned before, Matt Shackman is a a game of Thrones director, among other things. Um, and it was shot very battle of the bastardy, like mid in the midst of chaos. You're following this one character through, Mm -hmm. Um, the hallways and stuff like that. I thought that was really effective. Um, Yeah.
2: And it it reminded me of um, when I was a kid, my dad uh, used to read my sister and I a story every night and then like tell us a story that he kind of made up. Um, And sometimes usually I would fall asleep before that second story was over and then wake up the next morning. But Mm -hmm. sometimes I would fall asleep and then wake up like after my father had turned off the light and gone upstairs to his bedroom and it was this feeling of like, and I was really little, but like, of like real loss, like waking up into something and being like, Oh my God, like they're gone. Like, you know, and, and I think that to having Monica wake up like that in, sitting in the, you know, in the chair by her mother's bed. Um, that's like a really sudden jolt of, of change, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a really quick, uh, w- but efficient and, and thorough way to like give this character, like, um, pathos and, and and a backstory, you know. Um, so I thought that was handled um, well. I mean, she kind of does seem to move past it pretty quickly as the episode goes, but maybe not. You know, maybe that she's just trying to get the job done, and there will be some later moment of of reckoning.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Um, there's there's one theory I kind of like uh, that I saw this morning, which was um, that Monica was like you know. Jimmy, the, the character Jimmy who asked the question, like, what, how can we be aware of this town? Or maybe she asked the question, how could we be aware of this town when these cops, like, there's this selective amnesia. We find out later on the whiteboard, it's like a five mile radius around the town. There's this, like, selective amnesia where the people who live around this town, this New Jersey town have forgotten that it exists, right? Uh, as, like, sort of a defense mechanism for the bubble. Um, but, but that doesn't affect uh jimmy and and monica and not only that but monica unlike it would seem a lot of other people is able to permeate the bubble right they can send drones in they they send this poor guy in a hazmat suit in through the sewers we don't know what happened to that guy by the way like like nor have we seen uh, his face true but um yeah imdb um has him listed as just like a Marvel stuntman. Oh, so okay. like, I, th- I think, I think he's just like a guy in a suit, but um we saw Monica be ejected from the bubble, but we didn't see what happened to the beekeeper hazmat guy. So I'm a little worried about him, but, um but Monica is able to permeate the bubble in, in a way that maybe not everyone can, it would seem to me. And one thing I saw that I really liked is this idea that maybe her grief um, is what allowed her to do that. The fact that she's grieving and, Ma- and, and Wanda's is also grieving. Um, and the fact that this is like a, a pocket universe that's meant to, um, help soothe someone who's grieving. Um, there's no hard evidence for that. I just kind of like that as an idea. So, yeah. Um, And then, yeah, and then, so, you know, so then, like, Kat Dennings and a bunch of other, um, scientists swoop in and, and, and we find out some details, um, about the bubble, about, um, uh, the, the one really interesting thing I want to mention is this idea of, like, what's being edited and when, um, because we've seen these sort of, like, little blips and rewinds that Wanda does already, um, but, we we got to see that whereas they don't get to see it at all and they're just getting like the cut vision as, so, as someone says like someone's editing the broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what also seems to be true is they're getting more episodes than we are because Kat Dunning's character has this line, Darcy has this line where she says like she washes dishes about once an episode barf. Yeah. Like, you know, she got to see all of like season one or whatever and we didn't. Um, so, you know, they're operating with a little bit more data than we have. Um but yeah, um so my question you know, to you is it, this episode ends and Monica says, you know, it's Wanda, she's doing everything. It's all her. Um do you think that's right? What do you think? Yeah,
2: I think I think from what we have in front of us now, yes. Um I think the question for me now is why? Mm. Um because we kind of saw I mean, obviously grief is a very long, can be a very long process, a very complicated dynamic process that keeps changing. But we saw in Endgame where she has her, you know, uh, face off with with Thanos, that like yeah. she has, she's like, you took everything. It's like, okay, so she's processed that he's dead. And then they have to defeat this thing and save the world. And then they have to have Tony's funeral, which maybe was a Catholic funeral. Maybe it happened like the next day. Um <laughs> uh-huh so i i i you kind of think she's further along in in the acceptance part of things or toward the acceptance part of things so this would almost seem a bit like a regression um but you know who knows uh what, what the kind of psychological you know mechanics of that are um i think another question of why is why why tv like why these shows like where wh- where is wanda in relationship to this kind of pop American pop culture, Arcana. Um, and the only thing I could think of is what, what is the name of the country? Cracovia
0: Krako- Sokovia.
2: Cause Krakow is like the one from the terminal with Tom Hanks. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is maybe that was just like all that was available of like American culture was just these old TV shows. Um, when she was a kid or something, I don't really know her backstory. So, um, so each- yeah,
0: uh, Elizabeth Olsen gave an interview. I think it's to Emmy Magazine where she said that that she said that like this is a reflection of the American reruns that Wanda grew up watching in sort of the Eastern Bloc, right? Um, as a kid, which so, would yes.
2: which would make some sense that like after all the trauma of her young life, her brother dying, her lover dying, also having to like constantly fight to save the world, which would take a toll on people physically and mentally. I would have to imagine um, that. She retreats to this, like, the most arch of of kind of stereotypical happy living, you know, and the only example that she has. Um, and I think we were talking a couple episodes ago about her becoming more ascendant in her powers, that this is something that she clearly has some control over, but that, like, there is a psychic aspect to it that um, is instinctively protective in a way that she maybe doesn't have control over. Like, like, you know, there, there is a kind of id part of her that is doing this, um, rather than a high kind of consciousness. Um, so I guess what right now, I think that the arc of this run of this series, this, this one, you know, whatever this is the first season, I don't know, um, is her coming to terms with both the fact that she lost her great love but also that she's so powerful that um she like you know any of the telepath x-men before her has to kind of keep a tighter lid on herself than other people do which is a tragedy in, in itself in a way
0: yeah i mean it's interesting to me um I'm not fully convinced that she is completely in control of everything here. I mean, you, you mentioned like this sort of potential aid control, but I think episode four is too early of an episode for us to get an answer of who's behind everything. Um, and there's also, um, I won't go too deep into it, but for example, uh, in last week's episode, when she was trying to get the like stork to go away, Mm -hmm. her, magic wasn't working on it. And, you know, so there are things she's not in control of sort of emotionally. Then there's moments like that where like her own powers don't actually work. Then I wonder if there's someone else, if she created the bubble, maybe there's someone else exploiting her within the bubble, you know, and, and perhaps that's the Agnes figure perhaps it's someone else, but, um, right. Like that. She's not the ultimate, Big bad of this season, but most, but, but we might come to view her more as a, a victim of it, uh, in, in a way, you know?
2: Right. Maybe her, her kind of grief and power are being exploited, uh, right. which would then, of course, lead us to ask, like, to what end? Like, w- like, w- right. what is someone trying to, like, get her to bring vision back so they can control this, like, all powerful techno being? Or are they just trying to harness Wanda's powers? Or is there some other, revengey thing in mind i mean i don't know but um
0: right right right
2: it's clear to me that like metaphorically this thus far um this could be read as like how grief and other strong emotions um, can mm-hmm. make us act outside of ourselves in seemingly irregular ways um, because uh, an unconscious part of ourselves is trying to uh, process things
0: yeah, no, it, I I completely agree with that assessment. I think the performance, the great layered performance Elizabeth Olsen gives after Wanda kicks Monica out, where she has this, like, you're a threat, you know, I need to get rid of you because you're threatening, you know, my fantasy here, right? So I need to get rid of you. But then there's immediate, like, self-fear fear, of self and sort of regret, right? Uh, that plays on her face. She gets like a little teary eyed. Um, So um, yeah, I think there's a lot going on here. The other thing I'll say to your point um, is that in a press conference, I don't know what the context was, but I have seen footage of someone asking Kevin Feige, who the most powerful Avenger is. And uh, this is after Endgame. And he said, uh, he said, well, if you look at Endgame, Wanda almost had Thanos. He had to call in all of his backup to like get rid of her. She almost took out Thanos herself. Uh so his answer was Wanda. And um and that's cano- both canonically true. It might it that you know, that's a little bit of good advertising for his upcoming show, WandaVision, yeah. uh, which I'm sure is like partially on Kevin Feige's mind. But it's also true. You know, she can, she can alter reality. She's way too powerful, way, way, way too powerful. And you you mentioned psychically connection connected X-Men before her. So like, you know, Dark Phoenix is of course the most famous version of that storyline, but like that this is, um, you know, this is a power that needs some sort of check to it, especially when she's endured so much trauma um, and is so emotionally volatile um yeah like which i'm, is a good, I, I'm yeah, writing this
2: like kind of fan fiction series about like wiccan when he first starts going to gay bars and he doesn't realize <laughs> that he's really cute and so he has this power that he can't really control and he's like why is everyone bothering me you know it's that kind of thing uh,
0: exactly, very similar
2: right. to my own youth
0: <laughs> exactly um all right is there anything else you want to talk about in this uh episode
2: uh, no, I just, you know, I want to, you know, please people subscribe and listen to Wiccan Cast, the new, new show that I'm <laughs> doing alone <laughs> in the dark. Uh, um, no, I just think, I think it was a fun episode. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I've no doubt that people will be eager to get back into the kind of sitcom conceit, um, myself included. Um, but I appreciated this episode for kind of expanding the world or at least putting, you know, some parameters around it, uh, without giving away the game entirely.
0: I think it'll be fun to hopefully split time because I think some people are feeling a little suffocated being only in the sitcom world. Yeah. I think it'll be great to sort of split time going forward. Um, I felt a little like uh, uh, antsy in this completely non sitcom episode. So, um, I think there's really good potential for a balance going forward. Um, now I'm just looking at, uh, like images of, of Wiccan and Hulkling. Hulkling. All right. So, um, I sent has those once to again, <laughs> yep. infected my mind. Yep. Um, all right. So, so, you know, to circle back to this idea of emotional volatility, this is something that, uh, Elizabeth Olson and I specifically talked about. So, um, here is our conversation with Elizabeth Olson.
1: And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots, I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father the Sheikh.
0: It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague Heidi Blake at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai.
1: Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away?
0: There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside
1: the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it.
0: The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card.
0: I want to start off by asking you. Um, I've I've loved the Wanda character throughout the MCU, um, but I've always been desperate for her to have like one close female friend. Right, most of yeah. the people that you've interacted with the MCU have been have been the men: Jeremy Renner, Paul Bettany, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so excited to see you bounce off of Katherine Hahn and Tiana Paris. And what was it like for you to take this character and give her some sort of female reflection?
4: It it is such a joy. I mean, just as like, aside from the characters, it is such a joy. Like I, you know, getting to know Catherine and getting to know Tiana, especially being such fans of both of theirs um, is just the greatest gift. The female actors don't get to work with other female actors that often. It's like a, you know, like a lot of men do, but like women, women don't really get that opportunity. So that in its own right was just so much fun. But then also for her to have, especially through the sitcom eras, for her to have her like girls and her alliances um, yeah. is, really, is really important. Her trying to navigate this um, fitting in of, of this new neighborhood. Um, and I think the relationship with Catherine's character specifically becomes one that's like very needed for her.
0: One of my one of my favorite quotes uh, that I've read from you over the years is something that you said about how you were promised that you would never have to wear the Scarlet Witch comic book costume, and of course you're wearing it here. And in the trailers we see it. We haven't seen it on the show yet. Uh, it's like a it's a cute little like winking Halloween costume nod to it. But what was the conversation like when they brought it to you, and you were like, "I was told I was never gonna never gonna wear this." Did you have any of, of that feeling? I
4: was so excited, actually. What happened? They so we have a Halloween episode and they were trying to figure out how big of a nod to the character we were going to do. And it didn't start off with the classic um, Scarlet Witch costume. It was kind of like, um, like a gypsy thing that has to wear a, you know, a headband and I like fought for it. I was like, no, we have to, like, we have to go full into it. Like we have to, this is like the greatest thing. And Paul's doing it. I'm doing it. Um, and so it was, and and I'm, I'm really in it. It's not just a flash, <laughs> I'm really in the costume for um, quite a bit. And um, it was so fun. I loved it. And it was the perfect way to wear that costume. Cause you can't take that costume seriously.
0: Right, right. But in the context, you're like, give me the, give me the headdress. Give me everything. I'm going to yeah,
4: make the headdress as big as you need to <laughs> massive.
0: <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, as you, as you hop and skip through these family sitcom eras, these different show homages, was there an era you were most comfortable with either because you grew up watching it or it just fit your, your acting style?
4: I felt like I knew the, um, 80s episode pretty well it's our like family ties episode which is also you know obviously what people from the late 80s early 90s grew up with which is you know step by step full house and um those those the torkelsons and there's my my favorite thing about those shows um is they are just you know so sincere and um there are so many teach teachable moments with the sad, you know, music that comes in. that makes everyone go, aww. And um, I just thought that was very fun to get to play with, especially because the way we play with those teachable moments um, has a bit of MCU in it. And I, um, I thought it was clever the way we handled those moments.
0: It's so fun watching you get to play this, evolution of wives and moms as they're represented through these various eras, you know, thinking about what a Laura Petri is versus a Samantha versus a um, you know, through Meredith Baxter Burney, et cetera. Um You know, and I was wondering if you had any sort of thoughts about. And then you get to like Rose, something like Roseanne, right, which is uh, blowing up any sort of ideals of perfect suburbanhood and stuff like that. I was wondering if you had any sort of personal revelations about how we've thought about wives and moms through these like family sitcom representations.
4: Well, the funny thing is, is the the most consistent thing in these shows is that the women are the straight players, like starting with Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke, she plays the straight man and he plays, you know, the bumbling idiot. And, right. you know, even with Elizabeth Montgomery being, you know, her show with Bewitched, she's still the straight man. Her husband's a bumbling idiot. <laughs> and that really stays consistent. It's almost like, you know, we don't allow women to be funny. Um, so that's why when, when, when humor almost becomes really cynical, that's when like women get their like starring moment to be the funny ones for whatever reason that is like, you know, but comedy became very cynical in the aughts. um, At least the sitcoms did with like Malcolm in the middle. And um, there is there, it's an opportunity for women to, to, to be also very funny instead of just being the the straight you know, reflection, but then you have, I love Lucy, which I tried to bring a bit into in the seventies with a lot of the physical humor. Um, and you know, she's just comedy gold, but for the most part, the consistency that's like, feels very consistent, which is, you know,
0: strange. that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've talked about how, um, you know, in this series, you finally get to see you play some of the comic book storylines that maybe Joss Whedon presented to you in the first place to get you excited about this character. Um, <clears throat> You know, some comic book fans might feel like they know what that is. We're not going to necessarily say what it is because uh that would be giving the game away. But, um, you know, coupled with Kevin Feige talking about you and Paul being these tremendous, tremendous actors who he is sort of felt like he regrettably had to keep a bit in the margins of this large, in a large ensemble setting. Um, I'm wondering if, if over the years in the MCU, you've ever been like, hi, when are we getting to that thing that I want to, that I want to do? And have, have they, have they told you over the years it's coming in some form? I promise.
1: It's
4: almost like the opposite. Actually, oh, yeah. I, I, I've only signed on for a couple at a time. So mm-hmm. every time they they ask me to come back, it's a surprise to me cuz I just keep thinking, "Well, we're done with this, you know, chunk, and we're done with this chunk." And so I I think what happened for me was I started getting like Really comfortable not having the responsibility for you know the success (laughs) or failure of the Avengers franchise, and just like really happy to take up like my my little corner, and um, I really enjoyed how they had used me, you know, through because I felt like they I always had something substantial to do um, in those films, and when Kevin proposed this show. I think I was like completely freaked out by it because I know how many eyes are on these shows or films and, um, it's very intimidating. And, um, and it, it just became something that I absolutely adored and loved. And, and because of this show, it made me love this character more than I ever had. And, um, and it made me, it makes me feel like I have such a o- new ownership of, of her because of the time I got to spend creating this show. And um, now I'm like excited for the next, now it's like, now I'm like excited for the next thing. No one had told me that, I, I mean, I just signed on just because I liked the character because of the comics. And I thought, you know, the Age of Ultron story was, was really powerful and fun and angsty and rebellious and um, like really like an honorable story to tell. And, um, and, and now it's this completely new thing that it it never was at the beginning and, um, and going and like from the transition from WandaVision to Dr. Strange too, I just feel like it's also earned.
0: No, I think that's right. Um, One thing that I think is interesting about, like, I, I love the, you know, some of the big Wanda comic book storylines. Um, you talk about, like, angsty and stuff like that. Uh, there there have been some critics who have pushed back on um, the way in which Scarlet Witches, some of her biggest eruptions are tied to, like, emotion and motherhood and stuff like that. And there have been some critics who wonder, you know, if men are really the ones to, to sort of write those storylines. And, and is that how we want to think about this very powerful female character? Um, So I'm wondering if you, A, have any thoughts on that and B, you know, how much does it matter that, that there is a woman running this particular show?
4: Well, I mean, that is an interesting thing to um, think about because she, she, largely represents um mental health within the comic book stories and to just create hysterical women isn't really um that interesting of a story and also um doesn't really help any causes right um but to create a story about um someone who believes so deeply in their own like cause and their own experiences and to tell a story about trauma and resilience and um uh, what's the word i'm looking for um like avoidance i you know there, there's a lot of things that her story is and whatever moments of like extreme power and, and emotion that has come out of it i think that it, I understand that it, that the, that it's like the fear of the hysterical woman, but I I also think it's like incredible for someone to have that kind of connection to their emotional life. And I think in this show with Jack at the helm, we created, um, such a, um, like revolution for her and she's gone. It's, it's, I think of this show as, um, you know, in therapy, you, some therapists believe or classically believe that you need to talk to like the child that lives inside of you and um, connect with those experiences that have been tra- trauma. And then you take accountability and you have maybe like a intervention with yourself and you can move forward in a different way in your life. And I do feel like this show represents this kind of therapied experience, which I, which maybe it is female, but there's nothing wrong with that being female because that means it's evolved thinking. And it means that you don't have to just be this reactive person in the world that you can take ownership of your life experience and make that um, power you up for the rest of your life. Um, And so I do think that's what this show does because we had Jack at its home and it could have just been, you know, this kind of interesting trope of a show. Um, but that's really the video of this show, I believe, with Wanda.
0: I, I think that's fascinating. Uh, my, you know, my last question for you, sort of piggybacking off of that is, you know, you joined the MCU about like six years ago or seven, I guess, at this point, something like that. Um, have you noticed an evolution in sort of what women are allowed to do or what female-fronted stories the, this Marvel universe is interested in telling in those years.
4: I I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, I really think so. And I, and I, and I think it, it, it starts with Scarlett. Um, Scarlett's like a Johansson. She's a very um, powerful, talented woman in the MCU. And I believe that she, um, you know, maybe she didn't have the first franchise film, but she really created that space. Um, She's quite a pioneer who takes up space and gets heard and um, does it elegantly and with a lot of intelligence. And I think Kevin has always been a good listener and good at responding to like what the world you know is asking for from um from mcu when it comes to representation on all platforms um and so i and so i really do think when it comes to like the female presence i feel like scarlet you know was welcomed into the door and the iron man films and and just really busted it down
0: (laughs) the run for revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture i am friendly boy um We should be the mayor of New York.
1: We all support that. we support that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Nikki. Yes? It's been really great being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us?
2: I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me?
0: We can. We can.
2: All right, here we are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um AWOK and a winter OK. I'm Cho and I'm Chloe Mel. And we're the hosts of the Run Through of Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us, it's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right, Anthony. Here we are. Um this episode is called We Interrupt This Program. Uh, and so, you know, we, we press pause on the on the sitcom of it all to give us some external analysis. Uh a lot of this is stuff that we had sort of cobbled together, that we get some confirmation and narrowing down to some theories. Uh I just wanted to start by overall asking you, like, you know, what what did you think overall of this episode?
3: Well, I this is what I really enjoyed about the episode was I felt like we were agents of S.W.O.R.D., you and I, uh-huh. and uh-huh. we've been trying to crack this, and we're like, pretty good. I think we're pretty spot on with what's been Yeah, going we did down. okay. <laughs> you know, we realized that the people in the town were, uh, uh, you know, real people drawn into roles, uh, and uh, we kind of had figured it out a little bit that Wanda was in this bubble, and, you know, um, what I... I really enjoyed so we got some answers also on like who was watching them and how they were watching them. Kat mm-hmm. Dennings character returns from the Thor movies and uh, I really enjoyed her in this.
0: If I, so, if I'm being really fully honest, um, I think I prefer Darcy Moore as like a side character than a main character of an episode. But I imagine that will be her role kind of going forward, and I, I am really excited she's here because I do love her in general, and I think um, you know they'll have the option to cut to her. Um, you know when they return to the sitcom world we can cut to her watching which will be fun um, so yeah so I'm really glad she's here she, her character um, is
3: yeah. a strong cup of coffee but here's one of the reasons I really liked it is she reminded uh-huh. me again of us like she reminded me of like a TV blogger like somebody oh, for sure. <laughs> who has super strong opinions and but yet can find herself surprisingly moved by what she's watching even though she knows it's a manipulation like I I don't know I really I actually liked her more in this but we can disagree about that I suppose
0: Um, I think yeah, I definitely think that line where she's like, "What? I'm I'm invested." That's definitely like a meta, a meta line to us. But no, um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, some theories were confirmed, others weren't. Um, Jack Schaefer gave this long um interview to our colleagues over at the Hollywood Reporter, their um TV podcast, and they asked her, the showrunner of WandaVision, they asked her like, you know, what do you make of all these theories that are floating around? She's like, some of them are hilariously wrong, uh, and some of them are you know you know it's, it's fun basically for her to see them and um so i want to start out by saying sometimes a drone is just a drone i thought that little yeah. thing was a full-size helicopter it's just a drone albeit yes altered to better fit into wanda's reality uh we saw that alteration work on a guy in a hazmat suit but uh it was not a full-size helicopter um as as uh the fans had convinced me what it was to, so to be uh, fair so uh yeah. to be
3: fair wanda and vision heard a tremendous crash outside their window yeah before the appearance of the uh of the little plastic drone so i think like we were it was not outside the realm of possibility to assume that there was something bigger than a little toy that crashed you know but it did turn out to just be a small remote-controlled helicopter
0: a little drone. Um but uh something I do want to say about that there's this fun theory that I've uh seen floating around is that the reason that things switch to color at the end of episode 2 um and episode 3 I think it's called Now in Color um is not just because we're like progressing through the eras of sitcoms um but because those intrusions of colors whether it's the uh the drone or the blood um on, on Dottie's hand, um, was disrupting Wanda's fantasy. And so then once it's in color, those color intrusions will no longer uh, irritate uh, her vision. Do you, do, you, do you like that theory? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah,
3: I mean, it's, yeah, it's not the most profound theory,
0: but okay. Sure. No, no. <laughs> well, so, I, I mean, it kind of speaks to... How she's adjusting her she, reality. Did she, well, did she do that or did someone else do that to keep her from noticing... Aberrations. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 we can talk about that in a second. But let's let's talk let's talk first about this this sort of pocket universe, this bubble that appears to be Wanda generated. One question that Jimmy Woo asks in the episode uh, is why is it? What's with the hexes? Why is it hexagonal shape? Because we mm-hmm. get an overhead of the bubble and it's it's in a hex shape. And um and uh, so so one easy answer is that because Wanda made it. And her powers in the comics are called hex powers. So um, there's that. Um, hex- but then-
3: hexagons and hexes are kind of common to witches, right?
0: Right, right, exactly. Um, or is it a pentagram? Or is it uh, some folks have noticed that um, hex the hexagonal shape is really common to like the pim tech. Uh, so, like, could it be related to those kinds of universes and realities that Hank Pym, that is explored with Hank Pym and and Ant-Man? Um, mm. but I like, I like the, the sort of, like, it's a pentagram <laughs> idea. That's, that's, uh, that's what I'm into. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know,
3: why not go full Satan? Sometimes that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, given, um... What we were talking about the last episode about the sort of demonic elements and the magic elements uh, that they're drawing into the Marvel universe—I I could see that, sure.
0: Um, yeah, because often pentagrams are like, um, well, from everything I know about uh, stories, which come from—I mean, I guess if it were a pentagram, it would be five-sided, right? So, uh, well, the pe- maybe the pentagram such a thing as-
3: is like a star shape. Yeah, but I'm
0: looking at the star shape and I just counted the sides to make sure I wasn't being dumb, and it looks like five sides, right? If you if you connect the dots, you get a oh yeah, a yeah. pentagon. Um, anyway, okay. so maybe it's a, he- a hexagram. Um, I would love for it to be that. Um, anyway, and and we learn, you know, we learned that the bubble uh, is relatively new, so it means it's not like someone else's bubble that Wanda wandered into, but like a new thing that probably she created um, whether or not she's the one fully in control of it. What do you think of like, what's your, what's your idea of what's going on with this bubble at this point?
3: Well, I don't know that she necessarily created it because I'm, she's clearly like in control of it. Right. So they've put her behind the wheel, so to speak, but who created the vehicle and why? Right. And she's the missing person they're looking for. Right.
0: No. Um, because Jimmy said uh, it's someone in Witsac, and uh, he used a masculine pronoun. Oh, okay, that went past me. But uh, okay, um, hmm. and he was like surprised to see her in there. So, I have my theories about that. Do you want to? Do you want to skip yeah. over to the missing person thing? Okay. Let's skip to the missing person. So, so they create this board, right? And I talked to Richard about this a little bit. Like almost everyone except for Agnes has a, a driver's license clipped to their piece of paper and they're all residents of Westview, New Jersey. They have Westview addresses on there. So they were in the town when the bubble were created and they've been sort of drafted into these roles, right? Agnes is an exception. We've talked uh, plenty about why Agnes might be an exception. Dottie is not on there. That's Emma Caulfield's character. I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, And then, and then who is this missing person? Um, We actually got a theory email about that from one of our listeners, Michael, sort of tangentially related. We were talking about this character of Ralph, whether or not Agnes's absent husband was, um, what that we would see him was a villain behind things was maybe Mephisto. I mean, These are all question marks. Sometimes a drone is just a drone. Sometimes uh, an absent sitcom husband is just an absent sitcom husband. But, uh, you know, we were theorizing that, like, maybe um, Brian Cranston could come in and then it could be a fun little, like, meta uh, sitcom dad moment. Um, Michael had another theory. He said... Um, I was listening to the podcast and I love the idea of Brian Cranston as Mephisto, but based on on the quotes you guys read out, I have a second contender for a possible Mephisto. John Goodman. He can play lovable dad patriarch, has a long lineage in Roseanne, so the King meta aspect Ralph. works. <laughs> but he can also be the image of devil incarnate, as exemplified when he played Carl Madman uh, Munt in Barton Fink. He is already in the Disney family, as he's currently on ABC's The Connors. And one more possible clue coincidence he was a titular character in King Ralph. So maybe Agnes's Ralph is a literal Ralph. Anyway, I love the pod. Uh, thought I'd throw the theory in. So, uh, I don't know how this all works together. If it, if it's possible that the FBI's missing man is Ralph slash possibly also Mephisto is Agnes's uh, absent husband is played by John Goodman and Or Brian Cranston. But I like all of that. Sort of that soul Sure. Soup. What do you what do you think?
3: I think okay, good. I think we should stretch a little because this is quite a reach. You know, we don't want to pull anything, but okay. For sure. Yeah, We're
0: here yeah. to reach. Like what else are we doing here? I think it's you know, a lot what's of not fun. to reach. I think it's a yeah. fun
3: theory. All right. All right. I, de- I definitely think the mystery of who is the missing person is uh is going to be key to the yeah. overall story. And Correct. you know, I don't know how this ties in to, like, so what, you know, however that fits in as part of the puzzle pieces, we, we do have some key pieces of information and that's, you know, things like the hexagonal shape. I was trying to think about what in nature is hexagonal in shape. You know, we have mm-hmm. stop signs. So is this like metaphorical, you know, when she sees something she doesn't like, she stops it. she, throws Monica Rambo out of the universe, she, I'm not quite sure what became of the beekeeper, but like, clearly she br- brought a halt to that.
0: I'm uh, worried was, about the beekeeper.
3: <laughs> yeah. He yeah. just vanished. Yeah. And then I was thinking about the fact that he was a beekeeper. And you remember one of the things I think we got right is that she is interpreting uh, yeah. like a hazmat suit. In a way that fits into her universe, but the more I started to scratch my head about that, I'm like, yeah, but why would a beekeeper emerging from a sewer fit into your universe? That's not normal, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not like he was in a bee, like some sort of like uh, field of flowers with his um, with his uh, bees' nests, and that made me think, oh, bees' nest, honeycomb, the honeycomb shapes of individual mm-hmm. cells are hexagons,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what do we
3: have? Who's the Who's the what's the key figure in any honeycomb or any any bee's nest is the queen bee, right? Queen bee, for sure. So is Wanda the Queen Bee. Every all is everybody wanda else? the Queen
0: Bee is Agnes the Queen Bee? Agatha? Yeah. Uh, if there's one person to be described as a Queen Bee that we've seen so far in the series in, in the universe in the universe that would be Emma Caulfield's character, Dottie, right? Mm-hmm. She's the queen bee of the neighborhood, right?
3: Exactly. So it's like the bee thing, I think, can't be discounted as mere just disguise or way to fit in because it's sure. too weird, you know? It is
0: very weird. I did like that the little bit of rope that was attached to him got turned into a jump rope.
3: Yes, that was um, cool. <laughs>
0: that was really cute. Um, so yeah, I think, so let's I talk- think
3: the yeah. hexagon and the bee shape and the queen bee, that's all got to be part of it. If you think about, I mean... Uh there was also the the line um Monica says well usually the drone accompanies me so Monica's kind of a queen bee if you think about sure, it Sure 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 if we're sticking with the uh, uh the Drones bee metaphor Sure you know, um, drones. So, and, and the humans in this. This is all this about town. yes anding.
0: This is all about, this is like basically an improv, evening at the improv in this section. <laughs> Let's just yes and each other's Riji theories yeah. and be down with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's also, so sure, you know, all the
3: humans in the, in the, in the, in the, in, in, under the dome are, are mm-hmm. kind of like drones. They Drowny, don't have their sure. own lives, right? They're doing, yeah. they only kind of exist when they're in her orbit. So, I do think she's in control. The question is, who gave her these tools and who created this? Uh I'm not so sure that she maybe she did it herself but and uh and uh Agnes and Ralph saw a way to benefit themselves by yeah. slipping in or maybe they set her up for this I think we will find out
0: Yeah I mean I think I think it can kind of be both like a setup that leads to her creating it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, the, the, a very common theory, if you believe in the Mephisto of it all, a very common idea is this is a deal with the devil. She's made a deal with the devil so that Mm, she could have her reality, have her, you know, husband reanimated. Um, and the price possibly are her children. Like that, that's what he needs from the bargain. So even though she's made the dome, it's not like she made it all on her own. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, deals with the
3: devil. Devil always needs you to strike a deal, right? Yeah. It's yeah. never the devil doesn't just come get you. You've got to open the door in some way.
0: No wow. free lunch with the devil. Um, let's talk about Dottie really quickly. Uh, so there's this line in her episode, in the second episode when we meet her, where, uh, Agnes says she's the key to to everything in the town. And on the surface, you take that to mean, like, societally, right? But um, we're looking below the surface on every line here, right? So uh, she's the key to everything in the town. Here's a really fun theory. Ready? Get get limber. We're going to stretch. Are you ready for it? So in the show, the character is Dottie Jones. Her husband's name is Phil Jones. There's a character in the comics called arcana jones who has a husband named phil jones um and so she's also like a a witch figure um so uh i like i think it's interesting that agnes uh doesn't have a driver's license attached to her piece of paper on on their little like wall but i think it's even more interesting that dotty isn't there at all
1: hmm
3: yeah
0: you know what i mean uh, and we we talked uh last week about the movie marquee and how it had that like um oh no I don't even remember the name of the Sam Raimi Wizard of Oz movie um
3: Oz the Great and the Terrible
0: Oz the Great and Terrible or but Great that's and the Powerful th- right that's three witches right isn't it in that movie um so is this a trio of witches is Mephisto a misdirect uh you know which you were skeptical about to begin with but is is all the Mephisto stuff a misdirect and is it just going to come down to like three women instead maybe I don't know I'm skeptical Hmm. of, of of Dottie Arcana also goes by Moonglow um Arcana born with an aptitude for wielding magical energies where she learned to control these abilities is unknown but as an adult Arcana worked as a medium after marrying Phil Jones she decided to support her family by working as a professional crime fighter while her husband stayed home to raise their children she was part of the Squadron Supreme the Squadron Supreme so there you go just uh, just keeping our eye on Emma Caulfield of Buffy fame. See mm-hmm. see what happens there. Well, and, but to, yeah. to go back to go back to that idea about color, like the most disturbing incident that happened involving color was her blood, right? Mm-hmm. Blood magic being like a big deal and stuff like that. So like, if she saw the blood, was worried about Wanda, you know, breaking this reality bubble she's created, um, perhaps she engineered the switch to color. Is is one thought. Another thought is like you know if you if you think about Dottie being some sort of driver behind things, um, she's the one who keeps saying for the children, for the children, for the children. Episode two. So I don't know, just you know, something to keep our eye on. Villains villains hiding in plain sight. You know, um, I think
3: so. That's one thing about Marvel is once you know we can theorize all we want. Usually. I mean, traditionally in all the movies and everything, we guess ourselves into the stratosphere on uh, the trailers and the little materials and photos and hints and interviews and things like that. And then the solution turns out to be pretty simple. Like, the resolution is always fairly easy to comprehend. It's never anything all that Byzantine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't expect we will need to have to know about archaic comic lore to understand WandaVision. This is all created to be very viewer friendly. I mean, that's what this whole s- episode four is. A uh, like, okay, press pause, pull out. We're gonna show you everything <laughs> that's been happening. We're gonna explain a lot to you. We're gonna give you a little misdirect at the end, which is saying Wanda. It's all Wanda. I don't think it is all, all Wanda, but like. This is a very hold the audience's hand episode, right?
3: Yes. This is the episode, I think, like, people like me were waiting for, like, because I don't think my kids will enjoy the show because they don't know the sitcom tropes and they're, you know, they're kids, so they're impatient. And, like, we want to show this to them when they can watch it and also get, like, simultaneous explanation <laughs> because they're not they're not going to enjoy the guesswork. I think I, I mentioned previously, my daughter was watching and she was, gave me a big smile, but she was like, I have no idea what's happening. I don't know what this is or what any of it is. So I think like this is the way, this is the part you get to where you go, okay, at least now if I know nothing about any of this, I at least have a grasp of where I am. It orients you.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um <laughs> let's talk about sword and shield and all of what's going on here. You know, we we see Monica, uh, you know, come, return from the snap, her mother who we met and like loved in um uh in in Captain Marvel. Uh, uh, in, yeah, in Captain Marvel, uh, you know, has passed away from cancer. Um it's 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 really a traumatic return for her Um, she's back she's back to work in just a couple weeks we find out like via some swift and tidy exposition that her mother um, created S.W.O.R.D. which is not canonical to the comics but I quite like it I like this idea that Peggy Carter created S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, Maria Rambeau created S.W.O.R.D. Um, these two these two women created these like massive agencies a question some folks might be asking is if S.W.O.R.D. has been around for a little while why is this the first we're really hearing of it Um, in the MCU, um, and, and a fun answer to that is that, uh, up until the Fox merger, Fox, uh, Fox retained the rights to S.W.O.R.D. So they Mm. couldn't have S.W.O.R.D. in the MCU before now. So they're going to do a whole, this was here the whole time, (laughs) sort of, uh, sort of move with that. Um, do you have any, any S.W.O.R.D. thoughts here?
3: I have a lot of questions about S.W.O.R.D. and about this guy, um, uh, who's leading it, Tyler Hayward. Yeah. Acting director who mm, something about him seems off.
1: Mm. I'm not sure I trust that dude.
3: I don't know if he's a scrawl. I don't know if he's just a a bad dude who is an opportunist. Um, You know, but um, I I don't know. There's just something about his leadership that gives me pause. Uh, But I thought that opening sequence where, um, where Monica rematerializes and then there's just panic in the hospital and she's running into people and not sure who's returned and who's just been around and is dealing Mm -hmm. with this. The panic there, I don't know that. And then the grief of finding out that this mother that she was just with is gone and gone for years. And she was gone for years. It was really affecting. I I found myself getting choked up watching it. It was beautifully performed. And I thought, uh, i thought again we've seen this a bunch of times in the marvel movies the the snap and then i don't know the return from the snap uh but i thought it was i thought it was pretty emotional and and heavy and uh uh it also it also confronts you with the notion that some things don't come back you know her mother isn't coming back and that shot a few minutes later where um uh, Wanda looks up at Vision and he's zombified. He He's corpse-like and he has a yeah. horrific hole in, the, in his head where the Mind Stone was. Um, you know, as much as we try to delude ourselves with quote-unquote magical thinking, no pun intended, um, sometimes reality intercedes and we just have to deal with it.
0: What do you make of... I, I really love that. What do you make of um, what we see of Vision here? What does this tell you about what's going on with Vision?
3: It tells me he's not there. I don't think he's there.
0: So, like, <clears throat> like there at all, or she oh, has his like corpse and is puppeting around this pocket universe?
3: I don't know. I, that that would be that's that's venturing into some pet cemetery. Territory. It's very gruesome. It's very gruesome. That's I pretty agree. gruesome. I think that's too gruesome for for Marvel, but. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, we are dealing with witches and scary stuff and magic, so uh, maybe. But I think I think it's more just a reminder of what he looked like when he died. But I don't know. What do you do with Vision's body? Do you bury it? I, mean, I don't know. I'm not sure we ever got an answer to that.
0: Um, apparently, Kevin Feige said in an interview uh, that they originally had a post-credit scene uh, planned for Endgame where Wanda goes to see uh, Vision's body in the morgue. Um... Now I don't know um, if they shot it and are going to use that here in Wandavision as like an inciting incident of trauma, or um, or what. But um, yeah, I mean, I still I still have a lot of questions about this. Um, and <clears> and <throat>
3: we've theorized before that it's not Vision, but somebody else who can move with super speed and.
0: Uh... Right? Is it is it Simon Williams? Um, is it vision's body I don't know I have a lot of questions um
3: could vision be performed by the missing person
0: could be um the other thing I talked to Richard about this a little bit so I don't mean to like, totally retread but um in uh infinity war the whole thing that shuri is trying to do is like sort of rewire vision so that he can exist without the mind stone mm-hmm. right Yes. And, hmm, and it's unclear how successful she was before she got ashed. Um You know, obviously he seems very lifeless when the Mind Stone gets pulled out of his body. But was she, mo- did she get most of the way there? Um, there's, you know, there's history in the comics of them resurrecting Vision after he dies at the hand of Wanda. Um, but he just doesn't remember her. So, did Vision come back and not remember her, and she couldn't handle that, and that was an inciting incident for her? Um, you know, there's 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 some questions there, but I but I'm not the Vision that we knew is dead. I think that's true, no matter what. Um, but I'm not sure we have the full full answer of what's going on with him yet. Do you know? Was she remembering? I don't. I don't seeing I don't him. Think so. Yeah. 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 Alright. Um the episode did end with the song Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, which I gives know. you like <clears throat> makes you feel like we're talking uh zombies here. <laughs> Reanimated corpses, uh well, you know, maybe something like that. So And
3: yeah. I think it's notable um which part of Voodoo Child they played. Oh yeah? Yeah. There's a particular lyric, it kind of you know, they pick it up midway through the song and uh the lyrics that the f I mean the it's not, uh, it, it, I don't know what you can interpret from this, but the the the, the, the primary lyric that we hear is, um, if I don't meet you no more in this world, then I'll meet you on the next one, and don't be late, because I'm a voodoo child, voodoo child. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so like, there's definitely like, there are other worlds than these implied by that song i mean it's a great it's a great song and it's about voodoo there's mad so that's magic uh you know you you got a hint of witchcraft but they chose a very particular part of that song uh a lot of the rest of the song is about being powerful you know uh when i stand up next to a mountain and i chop it with the edge of my hand uh we'll pick up all the pieces and make an island might even raise a little sand so Mm. that part's not in the show But uh, it's in the song. And so, like, this is a little island that they're on, right? Uh, I don't mean to take up all your sweet time. I'll give it right back to you one of these days. That's another part of the lyric. Uh, And then, again, if I don't meet you no more in this world, I'll meet you in the next.
0: Um, I look, can you do a dramatic reading of every closing song going forward? I will, yeah. I
3: I don't want to be too (laughs) Shatner, though. I hope my reading wasn't, I'm a voodoo child. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, do you feel like, uh, trailer footage that Marvel has released is fair game to talk about?
3: Yeah, sure.
0: They, so they released a new spot that was sort of forward looking, as shows often do mid-season, And, uh, in it, there appears to be footage of Vision breaking out of the bubble. Because as we see in this episode, you know, like every episode he starts to get like, whoever he or that thing is starts to get more and more uneasy with what's going on. And we see him break out of the bubble and then seemingly collapse, which would reinforce sort of this idea, you know, he tells Wanda we can go anywhere and she's like, nope, we can't. And I think that's because like, whatever this is, if it's the corpse of Vision, if it's a different version of Vision, if it's a man she has reimagined to be Vision, uh, it can't exist outside the bubble. uh, Unlike uh, Monica's groovy clothes. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's something to be worried about. Vision wants out, but what, what will that do to him if he gets out? Do you know what I I mean?
3: Yeah, but I don't think it's a corpse that falls out. I think, again, that'd be a little gruesome, but...
0: It's really creepy. I agree. I, I,
3: I think there's some raw material, some entity, some being that she's cast as Vision, you know? And, um... Maybe that's the as I said before. Maybe that's the missing person. But whenever you fall out of the bubble, even Monica Rambeau experienced this. Like, oh, that's
0: true. You, that's true. you, you gotta take a you, nap. <laughs> you've got
3: like a little bit of like a stunned reacclimation to sure uh, your, the bub- real your world. bubble hangover. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: you got, you're right. Um, all right. Um, but another thing that we saw in this footage is is uh, this this interesting moment from the family uh, ties episode, uh, which should be next week, episode eight, uh, the, the episode five, the eighties episode where the character of Agnes, Catherine Han's character sort of breaks for a second. And she looks at one and she goes, should we start from the top or what? Hmm. And so this sort of moment of like, you're the boss and we're all your actors. What do you want us to do here? Like meta, a really meta moment. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, do you want to hear a really fun, um, really fun meta theory that I heard about Quicksilver? That uh, yeah, you know, we're okay. So we were thinking that maybe Quicksilver might show up in the '80s episode, the Family Ties episode, because they they have already said that they are doing the Tom Hanks drinks vanilla extract uh, drunk uncle episode, uh, and and maybe so is Uncle Pietro who has shown up here. Um, I read a fun theory that like. Uncle Pietro shows up; he's played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, and then like he gets recast at some point, and it's Evan Peters. Um, and that that would be like a nice little meta Bewitched moment, like a nod to the two Darrens and Bewitched or something like that. Mm-hmm. I just really like that idea. Do you have any uh, reaction to that? I dig that it. Thought?
3: I I, th- I like that, and I like being yeah. in the alt alternate version, alternate yeah. universe version of him. So yeah, I'm down.
0: All right, all right. Um. Two final things. One is, um, I, I want us to keep our eye on the mailman who has a super interesting line in episode two where he says, Don't shoot, I'm just the messenger. Mm. Um, I just want to flag it and remember it going forward. We haven't really revisited that guy, but I just want to think about it. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of like, um, this being a a Wanda villain origin story potentially uh this comes from uh our listener Jordan this email Um, loving the newest season. Uh, I think this is setting up Wanda as the next villain of the MCU, a very original theory I know, but what is compelling to me is the human aspect of that theory. In this reality, Wanda has everything she's yearned for. She has vision and the twins and a simple life of happiness. She's not going to accept this reality as false so easily and who among us would, uh In Game of Thrones, when Daenerys sees Drogo and their baby in the house of the Undying, she knows it's an illusion, but Drogo says if this is a dream, he would kill anyone who tried to wake them up. This response is so human and I find myself really sympathetic to Wanda. If someone tried to rescue me from my very nice and comfortable life, what they claimed as a false reality, I don't know if I'd willing, be willing to believe them. And if I had, oh, say the most powerful magic in the universe, I might just tear down worlds to stop them from taking it away. Also, if Vanity Fair exists in the MCU canon, does that mean Still Watching exists somewhere out in the MCU canon? Just curious. Thanks for all the great content, Jordan. That's because Richard and I talked last week about the fact that Liz- Leslie Bibb plays a Vanity Fair uh, reporter in Iron Man. So, um,
3: oh yes, right,
0: a Vanity Fair is MCU canonical. <laughs> well,
3: you know what's funny is in Iron Man, um, there's also a journalist on the red carpet line at like the charity event mm-hmm. that um, uh, Jeff Bridges' character. Attends and the the guy that the reporter who is on camera like in a two shot interviewing Jeff Bridges when uh Tony Stark shows up when robert Downey Jr. turns up alive is my good friend Scott Bowles my former movie writing colleague at uh, oh, USA so Today so we always kind of joked that like he was on set he visited the set of that scene and they and and John Favreau just put him in as a reporter and gave him like a great. Like a like he's on screen. He's there. Not just in the background. And uh, I think originally he even had a couple of lines that they got, but the but uh, I always like to think that that's really my friend Scott Bowles at playing himself <laughs> USA Today reporter. So the fact that there's a Leslie Bibb, Vanity Fair writer, uh yeah, why not? We exist. We we are in the MCU. We're canon. I declare. <laughs> We're canon. We're
0: here. We're reporters get used to it. Alright, so uh, this last email comes from Urban and uh, he's just got like a bunch of uh, points. He had one point about Billy uh, Billy and Tommy uh, and their gayness, which Richard and I covered in depth in the first segment, so we will skip that part. But uh, here are a few other things. He says, in the comics, Agatha Harkness has a son called Nicholas Scratch, and on the show, Agnes has a pet rabbit called Senior Scratchy. Also, Agatha was at one point the nanny to Franklin Richards, the son of Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman of the Fantastic Four, which could put her in a position to continue in the MCU after the acquisition. Uh, number two, it seems to me that Agnes may be being used by Mephisto, perhaps to perpetuate this bubble slash ruse with Wanda, as she seems a bit unwilling in the situation as seen by her chat at the hedge uh, and by her general annoyance with Ralph. Uh she uh, next point to me, it is unclear if the force creating this American sitcom reality is someone more American in identity or if Wanda is basing it on her viewing of American reruns on TV as a Sokovian kid. Wanda wanted a classic American name like Tommy for her baby, which shows that perhaps she is trying to create an idealized American family life. That is the one she saw on TV and has longs to have and has longed to have for for herself. At the end of episode two, though Wanda is suddenly pregnant, it seems to genuinely ask Vision, is this really happening, which makes me think that she is not fully in control of this reality. And lastly, Wanda in Vision's house in all decades has been numbered 2800, despite the house itself changing each time, which seems due to online research to perhaps be their home in the Marvel multiverse, or could have another meaning that we have not discovered. Avengers comic comic issues numbers do not go that high, but issue 280 is about a sick Jarvis, so that does not seem to fit at all. Uh, (laughs) Um... signed urban that's the kind of rabbit hole i go down all the time i saw i think the population of westview in this episode we learn is like 3892 and i definitely googled like 3892 marvel meaning comics issues numbers like all this sort of thing to try to see if it's something and then you know what anthony sometimes a drone is just a drone you know sometimes Sometimes it is is.
3: sometimes it's just we need house numbers on this
0: Do you have any, uh, any reactions to any of that uh, comic lore there?
3: Well, I, maybe. I, not really. I, I, I'm not sure numerology ever adds up to much. <laughs> Again, no pun intended. I think the the population of the town was just to show us that it's not like a town of 200,000, that it's a very small town. Yeah. So that's probably the reason for that information was conveyed. The house number, like... Uh... Maybe I don't know, like I'm not sure what um should we divide it by six and see what we get? okay,
0: all right,
3: <laughs> you know uh what is well, it two eight zero 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 can do, do we can we can I think at a certain point you get a little kooky uh, uh but that's what we're here for is to be a little kooky, but uh but i I don't know i'm not I'm not sure like I, I just remember lost, and the numbers they didn't ever add up to anything, they never really signified anything, did they? Just a code.
0: Kind of. Yes an unknown. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's an there's an Avengers Earth two eight zero zero that exists in oh, know, there's, okay. like, different Earths, right?
3: Alright, then maybe that. I could go see that I'm much more likely to go along with.
0: Okay. So, you know.
3: That that house number is definitely pronounced. Like you notice it every time it
0: turns Yeah. Out. No, 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 And I wasn't saying the population definitely means something. I'm just saying anytime I do see a number, maybe it's my lost training. I will write it down and see if I can, like, figure out some sort of significance to it. Um, it doesn't always pay off, is my point. <laughs> Sometimes a drone is just a drone, you know? Yeah. Um,
3: so what about, here's a character we haven't brought up before. Okay. Um, but we know he gets his own show soon. And he's kind of a devilish character. He's got horns. You know who I'm talking about? Loki. Loki.
0: Could he you think be part Loki? Of this? Is behind. Ooh. Well, so, so here's the problem. Here's the problem with trying to, you know, the problem with with thinking too hard about how this leads into Doctor Strange is that whatever happens at the end of this season is going to have to hold through multiple Marvel stories until we get Doctor Strange, which they which they are only filming now, right? So we know that Wanda is in Doctor Strange, and maybe she's a villain in Doctor Strange, but she's not going to be, like, bopping around the universe villainously unchecked for the entire time between the end of WandaVision and when Doctor Strange uh, premieres, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I kind of feel like whatever, ha- I, you know, I feel like there will be a continuation of the story, but whatever happens at the end of WandaVision is maybe it's, like, a post-credit subtle nod to us the audience but the the world in general doesn't know that like mephisto got out or agnes got out or something like that do you know uh and it can and that can wait until doctor strange but it can't be like wanda has ripped a hole in reality or something like that do you know what i mean like it can't be so universe breaking that we have to be expected to like sit through um falcon and the winter soldier and loki and black widow and whatever else is standing between us and dr strange
3: yes okay so instead of yes and i'll say yes but but like as we saw with the beginning of this episode you can have events taking place concurrently so you know we might get falcon and winter soldier and their adventure might be something that's happening like simultaneously to what's going down in wandavision so, you know, I do think that it's part of the language of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that years can pass and multiple stories can happen. And we're still, like, kind of close to the same era, you know?
0: Totally. Absolutely <laughs> possible. I just want to think about, like, I want to think about the kind of storytelling that they want to tell that won't be too confusing for their audience. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And and it's already, like, the timeline's already a little, like, uh. Scattershot in that far from home takes place months after this, because this is only a few weeks after the return from the snap. Totally, and far from home is I think it's supposed to be like eight months, so plot you know plotting things around like that is a little tough when you're asking folks in a more casual way to come along for the ride, right? mm-hmm especially if it's interconnected if it's not it matters less you know like i don't really care when loki takes place if it doesn't but if it ties in directly like if loki bops from this over to his show like that's uh, you, we've got another show in between to to get through do you know
3: yeah definitely but also like Okay, so Loki dies in the universe, the prime universe of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he lives in the alt universe where he makes off with the Space Stone. And with the Tesseract. Or sorry, with the Tesseract. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the Space Stone, right? I got Mm -hmm. my stones. Uh, I need a little cheat sheet. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) Uh um, maybe he wants to find a way to re-assimilate those timelines, but also be alive so, could he be manipulating Wanda? Like, she's a powerful uh, magic wielder. Maybe she can resurrect me, bring me back. Well, we'll I'm not going to test it on me. I'm going to test it on Vision, you know? Listen, I be?
0: like I uh, I never want to underestimate Loki. I've made that mistake before. So, uh, <laughs> you know, never underestimate his capacity for mischief. Um I don't know. It's so interesting. It's, it's interesting, especially given the way the, like, schedule had to move around with their Disney Plus shows. That makes me feel like... I do feel like they're going to y- use these various shows to, like, seed characters and lead into things. But I maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like... um feels like the connection can't be... Hmm. So airtight as that, you know what I mean? Yeah, starts to shrink. I don't mean to. I don't mean to uh, know, but your theory. I will will go for all theories, and I'm I'm always excited for Tom Hiddleston to show up. I mean, I'm still trying to think of like who it is that Paul Bettany would be like. I get to work with an actor I've never worked with before who is legendary. blah, Blah blah, and I'm like, well, I mean. Has he shared scenes with Tom Hiddleston? Would he count Benedict Cumberbatch? Uh, like it, To me, that means like someone who's been around even a little longer. Because Paul Benny's been around longer than those guys, right? So to me, it's someone who's been around a little longer. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you want to say about this episode before um, we hit the road?
3: I'm looking forward to getting back to the sitcom world. Me but too. This was a nice... I'm- you know, we interrupt this broadcast. Good title, too. Very clever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very cute. Um, all right. Uh, so until next time, where can folks find you, Anthony?
3: You can just find me right away at VanityFair.com.
0: You can find me also there, as well as Richard. You can find uh, Richard on Twitter, at Rylas. I'm at Joe Wrote This. Please let me know what I missed. But do remember that I did make note of Jimmy Woo's magic trick in part one so you could save your emails and tweets about that. <laughs> Much love to you. All right. All oh, right. Bye. Bye.
1: Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.